at the Gate Podcast. This is Jeremiah Jenny broadcasting from high above the Dongcheng District in Beijing. With me, a very special three-host podcast. On my right, the inimitable, the unique David Moser. Great, thank you, Jeremiah. Glad to be unique. I'm the. I didn't realize that I stuck out. <laughs> <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> Give you this huge setup. <laughs> and it's David Moser. And David's like, I don't know what to say. Uh, hi. <laughs> He's got a full cup of coffee right next to him. And I feel like I feel like he needs to chug that like, in the next like, 35 Where seconds. Where did you go last night, by the way? <laughs> That's what happens when you try to tape. You try to do a taping in the studio with jazz musicians in the morning. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Also with me, because she doesn't wait for an introduction, is... From the Woman Podcast, a communication professional, somebody who has been working in the field of barbarian outreach and rehabilitation for many, many years. <laughs> barbarian outreach. <laughs> you have no barbarian idea. Handler. <laughs> Senior barbarian wrangler, Jung Yajun. Hi, nice to be here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say, but I will just swing it. <laughs> you know, I love that kind of honesty, you know, because David and I never actually admit that, but it's kind of true. We do have a topic, and the topic today, a matter of trust. And yes, I was listening to Billy Joel earlier. One of the things we've been talking about is just how the relationship between China and the rest of the world and China and the U.S. is going through a rough patch all the challenges that they're facing, the ongoing pandemic, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, economic instability. And of course, politically, Joe Biden's facing midterm elections coming up uh, this November, likely to lose the House, maybe lose the Senate. And at the same time, also later this year, Xi Jinping coronated for his third term. And while Xi's position seems strong, right, the party clearly wants some smooth sailing on the domestic front between now and then. For both she and Biden, the ability to govern effectively is related to the trust that people have in each other and their own government. And this may come a little bit easier for China's chairman of everything. And if David and Yajun permit me a little bit of time here, uh, I, I found a really fascinating study online. This is from the this is from the Pew Research Center. It was released earlier in June. Found that U.S. trust in their government has fallen to a frankly disconcerting 20%. Like only two in 10 Americans say they trust the government of Washington to do what is right just about always or most of the time. And this has declined even since last year when it was a robust 24%. And to put this in some historical perspective, when they started asking this question, when people started asking this question back in 1958, something like 75% of Americans trusted the federal government. Trust in the government began to erode during the 1960s because of, you know, drugs and the Vietnam War and David's generation. Watergate. Watergate. That, that was a big slide in the 70s. It kind of came back a little bit in the 80s, I assume because of cocaine and junk bonds before falling again in the mid-90s when cocaine became crack and then when emo became a musical genre. But as the economy grew in the 1990s, so did trust in the government. And then, of course, the 9-11 terrorist attacks brought us to a three-decade high before we started tumbling again, something about a war, weapons of mass destruction. And after 2007, those saying you can trust the government always or most of the time has not exceeded 30%. So that's the U.S. situation. Why is it easier for Xi Jinping? Well, accurate numbers are always hard to come by with China. 
but a report released earlier this, this year by the American public relations and marketing consultancy firm Edelman estimated trust among Chinese citizens in their government at a record 91%, the highest seen in a decade. And that those figures were from earlier this year, so pre-Shanghai lockdown. I think what we got to talk about here is what do these numbers mean? Are these numbers reflective of the real situation in these countries? And why is there, st- even if we are to assume that the numbers may not be 100% on the nose, there clearly is a huge gulf between the way Americans trust their government and the way Chinese trust their government. And uh, frankly, I'd like to figure out why. So where would you like to start, David? You know, as, as with many things, I'm kind of academic about this. We have to be careful of what we mean by the word. We have to sort of define the word a little bit. There's trust, as I see it, is confidence that the government can do the right thing or will do the, or is trying to do the right thing. It's so competence, uh, you know, is the government uh, functional? The other is trust. Can you believe them? Do you, can, are their policies uh, reasonable? Are you being lied to? And those kind of blend together sometimes at, at times like, yeah, at times like Watergate, you know, you, you, ha- you sort of wonder if, if the shenanigans going on reflect other things. And the Trump administration sort of uh, was, a, was an intersection of, of, of both competence and, and trust. But I, I think before we start the discussion, there's, a, there's a kind of a difference in the United States and China in that way, because I think a lot of the high ratings uh, that, that reflect in the Chinese polls reflect confidence in the government's ability to solve problems, to make your lives better. And the reason I say this is I have a lot of friends, uh, even my father-in-law, who, who won't listen to this podcast, so I talk about him. He's, he's, a, he's Chinese. He's, he's an old catter, retired, and has, is very proud of his country, very nationalistic, but doesn't believe what they tell him. So he's, always, he's asking me all the time, you know, uh, maybe something about Ukraine or something. He's, he's asking me, what's really happening over there? Because he doesn't trust the media he's getting, but he has faith in the party to perform well, and he's very clear about that, right? So that's one thing. In the United States, we have a different problem, which is, in a way, trust has to do more with party affiliation, because there is this terrible partisan tribalism that we have. Somebody mentioned, uh, characterized it, it's not a joke, really, but in in the old days that you were just talking about, when when trust in the government was very high in the United States, in the old days, if the economy was doing well, then you would tend to like the president and vote for him. If the economy was doing badly, you would say you didn't like him and you wouldn't vote for him. Nowadays, if you like the president, then you believe the economy is doing good. And if you don't like the president, then you don't believe the economy is doing well. What we have now is this, uh, th- this bifurcation of truth based upon party affiliation, which I don't think is a problem in China. You, you don't have two truths. You have uh, official propaganda, and then you have performance. And I, I think that's mostly what the Chinese people are thinking when they have trust in their government, which is why the, the real disasters with COVID recently ha- impact that, because it's not a matter of believing what they say. It's a matter of, is this doing the right thing? You know, are, is, are, is this solving the problem or not? Yeah, when I look at those kind of uh, poll data, I, I always, you know, being quite skeptical. I mean, the, the two numbers you laid out, uh, I think there are so many layers behind it, right? You, you made it quite clear that, uh, for example, the, the poll about China's strong trust to the government, it was done earlier this year, right? After two years of uh, 
uh, so-called success with uh, um, zero COVID policy and people from China do strongly believe, you know, despite of the lockdown or issue on a global level, Chinese people can enjoy relative freedom in 2020 and 2021. So I wouldn't be surprised earlier this year, the pull to the government, the trust to the government was really high. But like Jeremiah mentioned that Shanghai's case have a huge impact to everyone's belief of uh, the competency yeah. and, the, and the trust to, to the government. Of course, you you know, in China, you can never get a, a true data, how people really think about. So I wonder that the 90%, how, how, you know, how, how they get that data? Mm. What's their way of rolling out their poll? Even though people don't trust the government, do they really say this? Do, you know, it's also about how they phrase the question, right? So mm. that that's a, have a so much impact to the final data. It's uh, that 90% data is a, a good reference, but I wouldn't truly believe on that unless I have more background on, on that information. That's the first layer. And second layer, I think this trust issue, it's not only about you know, US-China. Uh, for example, this year, if you look at you know, the annual meeting of uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos, actually the trust is kind of a, goes through a lot of a channel. A lot of uh, sessions, discussion. I think after COVID, after such a global crisis, there's just so much going on in the world. Inflation, food crisis, you know, recent, recently Sri Lanka just overthrew their prime minister. I think this kind of a trust issue is on a global level. But there was also some discussion, I think it's quite inspiring, that trusted build, of course, on a macro level, on the government side. But a lot of people's trust is based on the last mile delivery, I would say. Right, right. <laughs> right? What have you done for me lately? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all about person to person, you know, all about personal feeling and experience, how things was delivered. If the local Jiuhui, the, the community service people or cadre told me one thing or do another, I wouldn't trust the government. I mean, the, the, the latest thing, I think, from the, the Beijing municipal government is that um, one day they told everyone that if you don't have a vaccine, you cannot get into a public facility. And the next day they said, oh, it's a world voluntary. That leads to a big question, you know, of this kind of a conflict of information within, within such a short period of the time. What does it mean? In Chinese, we have a, a word, guy. So that means you issue a water in the morning and you change that in the evening. It, it was literally the situation in Beijing a few days ago, or a couple of weeks ago. So when you have that kind of situation, people start to question, what, what should I believe, right? What's that affect to me in my own personal, my family's day-to-day -day life? I think when that kind of situation happens, it's not a, about like a macro level, it's what about the last mile delivery from the government of their service and about person-to-person, -person in individual kind of experience. That would totally change people's mind. Yeah, I think breaking down those numbers is really good because you're right. I mean, what do we mean when we say trust in the government? Do we mean trust in the local neighborhood committee? And of course, when we say government here, we're conflating party and government. Right, right. There's an idea that people often, at least you know, in the last 20 or 30 years, tended to have a great deal of faith in the central government, but far less faith in their own local leaders. And frankly, that goes back to the imperial period to some extent as well. 
But even if we were to take a, even if we were to kind of look at this 91, 92% number, and similar numbers have been thrown around for a, a long time, and we were to say, okay, well, how do you, what faith do we have in an opinion poll in a country where it's illegal to have certain opinions? Nevertheless, anecdotally, just in terms of trend, just kind of a general sense, I mean, public faith is still, public trust in the government is still quite high. And I, I think, uh, you know, David's point about his father-in-law is kind of an interesting uh, place to start, place to kind of look at, because I also think it probably breaks down very much along, are you rural, are you mm. urban, mm. and also generationally. Uh-huh. I mean, just to ask you quickly, uh, June, I mean, in your own sense, like, how does your understanding of this issue differ than you and your friends mm. from that of, say, you know, your parents? Yeah, you as a, a 20-year-old, your generation. Um, I think right now, Eliza, you notice she didn't comment. She didn't correct me on on that. Anyway, just, yeah, it's a anyway, truth. go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Hold on a second while I get barbarian at the gates. HR on the phone. Yeah, I totally uh, agree with you, uh, Jeremiah. I think it really depends on which group you you talk about. For example, among my friends. I would say social elite living in big city have a lot of international background. We face a lot of divided opinion within families. Um, for example, my I, I, I highly skeptical of whatever government does, not only Chinese government or U.S. government. But for example, my mom doesn't have a her own opinion. She just circulates a lot of information online. My dad is a strong believer of the government. And whenever I say anything questionable about, you know, garment or show my skepticism, my, my dad would, would, you know, totally disagree. So my mom is kind of, a, you know, stuck in the middle of the death sandwich be- between my dad and mom, uh, uh, my dad and me. So what, I, I try not to talk too much about politics with my parents anymore. It's not only me. A lot of my friends face that kind of situation. Some of them, you know, either work in a multinational company or international organization or, you know, Chinese reporter working in foreign media. Uh, several of them just saying that they start to delete their family WeChat group. Normally for those kind of family WeChat group, they have their uncles, aunties, grandma, grandparents, you know, cousins, all of that. So particularly during the recent situation uh, of uh, COVID uh, in Shanghai, all of that. Uh, they just couldn't, uh, my friend just couldn't handle a lot of argument, a lot of opinion from their own family member, their close relatives. Um, because for us, you know, those opinions just don't make sense. They're just blindly believing government. And when they start to say something, you know, provide different perspective or opinion, they're, what the other family just jump on them saying that you're totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it sounds, I, I guess it sounds like a lot of American families when, when you, you talk about politics, right? Some is so democratic uh, and the others are so con- conservative. So that can divide a lot of families' politi- political view. It's exactly the same thing in a lot of Chinese families. Yeah, David, you had mentioned earlier that kind of split between you know, where you are on the political spectrum affecting your view of your faith in the government like who's in power are they on your team and if they are great if they're not not and you know unsurprisingly the same few research study that came out last month he said found that you know there's a huge split 
right now in that number. It's still low. In in China? In the United States. The United States, yeah. yeah. Excuse me. In the United States, 29% of Democrats or Democratic-leaning independents said they trust the government some or most of the time. That was as opposed to 9% of people who identified as Republicans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Yajin makes the point that this is something that, you know, it's, it makes it difficult to talk about politics at the dinner table or on WeChat in China. But we see that we I mean, we completely see this happening yeah. in the U.S. It's still quite complex, you know, even the polls, because you're not, you don't quite know sometimes when you're at, when you say, do you trust the government or how much do you have faith? You don't know quite the answer you're getting. And in the, in the United States, uh, I, I, I just said, you know, I think probably in China, the default is kind of performance that you don't you trust him to do the right thing. Right. In the United States, it's a different issue that because of, of this is polarity of this uh, polit- political split, tribalism. It's more like, do you like them? Do you approve of their of their uh, philosophy, of their gr- of governing philosophy? Do you approve of their religion? Do you approve of their... So there, there's such animosity between the, the two tribes. You know, as I said before, you know, the difference in the United States is, is that there's not so much of a uh, concern for for performance because i mean we have one political party the republicans that don't even have a platform it's it's mostly about uh critical race theory it, it, it it's about uh politics it's about it's about uh, owning the libs it's it's about making you know that's mostly what fox news is all about there's very little talk actually about uh solid policy issues you know solving problems infrastructure is mostly about tearing the other person apart China doesn't have two parties, and so you don't have this sort of inter-party squabbling. The problem in the United States is that there's almost too much information. The, the, the people don't really think that there's a lot of information that they're not getting. It's, it's that they think some of the information that's being used, been weaponized, simply for political purposes, such as the recent, the recent example just yesterday or the day before was there's suddenly this information that maybe the Secret Service in the United States had... had uh, deleted some messages during the, the the January 6th insurrection, which seemed very suspicious. But now it's all in the open and there's this infighting and there's all sorts of things going on, right? But the information is up there and it's being talked about. In China, there's no, there's no such public discourse about what's happening. You can't even mention zero COVID. Uh, you can mention it, but you can't criticize it or raise objections to it or even scientifically analyze it, right? So the difference here is just simply performance. It doesn't become a big public uh, discussion about what we should do next. It becomes, is it working or not? Do I feel pain or not? Do I think, do I see the end of the tunnel and this sort of thing, you know? So that's that's a sort of a different good discussion going on here that has to do with what the Chinese people evidently are really worried about. And we know, by the way, for polls, the Chinese government uses polls a great deal. They're one of the greatest consumers of polling information. There's a group here called Horizon Keys, and they use them all the time to get public opinion about housing and public problems. And then also they look at the and they look at social media. So they're very focused on public opinion. It's very important. But one of the things they they worry about in terms of credibility is corruption, because China does have this this culture of official corruption. And that's all, you know, sort of shrouded in secrecy always. So right now, ever since she took office and had his uh, anti-corruption drive. Boise Lai fell. It's it's not something that's been put behind us. 
it's still front and center. If you look at these t- the TV shows that having to do with official corruption, there's the documentaries, there's that great uh, TV series that Renming the Mingyi, you know, that was all about official corruption. There's no less than four uh, movies and documentaries out right now. Uh, one of them even mentions Boise Live for the first time in, in public uh, media and has even interviews with some of these these people, right? So the, the government is very conscious that their problem in terms of credibility is that people know that these officials are corrupt and they don't trust the motives of these of officials. And that's where the secrecy lies. That's what their worry is. And this bank run in Hunan province where these investors and depositors can't get their, can't withdraw their funds, you know, it turns out that in fact the suspicions are right. There was corrupt, absolutely blatant political corruption. I mean, f- uh, official corruption at that level, right? So that's a little bit different than the United States. We're not always like weeding out corruption and, and frog marching people out, you know, to prison. It's, those sorts of things kind of play out in in the public space. We have look at we have people like Steve Bannon who are just uh, you know out and out insurgents. And, and you know maybe even traitors, but he has a radio show and he's out there in public, and, it's, and the argument takes place, you know, in the official media, in the state media. We don't have state media, but in the in the, in the corporate media, and in the you know the, the the social media at large. Here, there's no discourse, and so the, the the people are focused on this secret that never goes away, and that's why it, she keeps, you know, pushing it and 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 promoting his own. Uh, his own uh, accomplishments in that area, you know, but they, but they by no means are trying to say we've defeated official corruption. They're very open about the fact that it's still an issue. I have a question for you, Jean, but I want to preface it by saying that I really love the Discovery Channel, and the Discovery Channel has on it all manner of shows about looking for Bigfoot, Yeti, <laughs> Ghost, the Loch Ness monster, and I was watching the show with somebody recently, and they. They asked me, you know, are, are they going to find Bigfoot? And I said, they will absolutely not find Bigfoot at the end of this, this show. You don't know. <laughs> and when they said, you don't know, I replied, well, I have a feeling that if Bigfoot was found patrolling the suburbs of Seattle, that it probably would have made the New York Times or CNN. And I think, you know, that the target audience for these shows are people who don't believe the media and feel like the government is keeping secrets like, you know, alien bodies and that kind of thing. And that actually ties into a larger issue, which is there's a large group of people out there who don't trust all the information they're getting or there is they're overwhelmed by all the information that's outside of official channels, mm-hmm. which is we'll get to in a moment that we've kind of moved beyond truth. And so I kind of what I want to kind of ask you, June, is in this kind of place of what David said. Is it possible that the, the problem in the U.S. is that there's so much white noise? Is there too much information? And what does that mean when we think about China, where information is so controlled? I guess I'm saying, and, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this, does the Chinese government have a point about the control of information, guiding public opinion, mm. or the need to at least filter out the Steve Bannons and the Bigfoot yeah, expeditioners good, good, of the world? Good point. I mean, coming down to the human nature, right? We want to believe in what we want to believe in. We want to hear the positive news. We even discuss about this in in the office, actually, because we, you know, we, we, we are uh, in my wor- uh, workplace, we are an international organization. We have access to 
uh, Google and everything, what of the website blocked in China. So if we want, we can get what information uh, online from CNN, Facebook, all of that. But look at look at the world today. Every day you turn on BBC and CNN, there's something bad, right? Uh, what happens in in the U.S. Uh, um, January 6th, uh, what's happening to Boris Johnson in UK, what's happening in, in Sri Lanka, right? It's just, it's depressing every single day. Of course, on top of that, there's the, the, the war. But if you turn on the, the um, Chinese TV shows or CCTV, everything is great. Everything is rosy. It makes you feel, feel good, right? <laughs> um, you feel like there's hope. Uh, you feel like there's a lot of positive things happening. Even though, you know, you don't get the full picture, of course, uh, you only get the part that people want, the government want you to believe. But to be honest, some of my colleagues the other day were talking about it. They feel like, you know, it's not a bad thing considering how depressed you would be uh, if you receive negative news, negative energy every single day. You mm-hmm. just feel like, what's the point of leaving? <laughs> We are well waiting for this kind of sweet death, little by little, particularly with the you know climate change issue. Who knows? In, in 20, 30 years, that the world will be a living hell. So, <laughs> thank you for tuning in, folks, to your positive moment. Yeah, exactly. And then Chinese co- government come in and say, "Oh, don't worry about it. Everything is great." <laughs> so you know, it's I, I know, I know, it's kind of a too extreme. Exactly like what David just mentioned that in the U.S. there's a lot of noise. People choose to believe in certain things, and in Chinese, in China's situations, that government filter what of the bad news only tell you the positive news that they want you to look at it i I know what kind of environment i want to believe in because i want to be well informed and make a decision but i cannot say that for every individual Mm -hmm. right people rather you know having a happy positive belief into certain things even though you know corruption can be an issue but they can believe that it's a an individual case Mm -hmm. uh even though local government really F word. Um, are we allowed to curse here? Yes. Okay. Hell Even the yeah. local government is fucked up. So they still believe that this is a local issue and the center government, you know, she still support, you know, try to find the corrupt officials. So, you know, the Chinese central government is good. It's just a local application of the policy is bad. So but that could give people a lot of uh, you know, hope to live on. This is something very interesting. I don't think a lot of people know. It's something, just something to realize. You know, many years ago, decades ago, someone named Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he was talking about the, do you, have you read this book? I have read this book, right. and I've also heard the Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame solo album based on the book. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Anyway, but the point being that the, the United States information environment, especially the news, has been melded with entertainment. So... You know, there was such a thing called in, you know, in the old days, the news was just the news and they couldn't, you know, even have advertising. It was just the uh, public service for 30 minutes a day, you know. Now, news is entertainment. There's infotainment. There's no there's no meaningful distinction between news and entertainment. And in fact, all of the news outlets are entertainment outlets. They're profit making. Right. The result of that is this chaos that we see where the news is 
is a sensationalist. If it, if it bleeds, it leads. Everything is for ratings. You have political squabbling and arguments. The more the ratings raise and everything, and this is the you know, sales advertising time, right? China is very, very different. They have completely isolated news from everything else. The Chinese media, especially TV, radio, not the social media necessarily, but the TV media, news is a, is a siloed off domain. It has an official message. It's all unified. It's all planned out. It is not entertaining. It is boring. The Xinwen Liambo from the 1980s is exactly the same as it is now. It is boring. It is not entertainment. But everything else can be entertainment, but you can't touch upon politics. So we have talk shows, game shows. You have, you have comics, stand-up comics. You have all this kind of stuff, but they can't talk about politics, right? Now, I've written, written some articles about this, and I think this is kind of a smart thing for them to do uh, as part of the information control because it, it makes censorship much easier. They don't have to be patrolling saying, you know, hey, this comedy show, you said this joke. They, they said the default is you just don't talk about it. You can't talk about Taiwan okay. unless it's just a brief mention of some, you know, some laudatory thing. But basically, news is news, entertainment is entertainment. That prevents this kind of problem we're having in the, the United States where there's so much information and most of it's junk and most of it is not not enlightening. It's mostly just, just uh, inter- entertainment to get you all riled up. That kind of situation, personally, I feel like only works in China because we have this kind of long tradition, right? You know, Chinese Communist Party is really good at using the mm-hmm. propaganda machine to deliver the message from day one, uh, even before the the founding of the new China, right? The, the, the party is really good at using this kind of, uh, use me- media as a tool to uh, share their opinion. So I think, you know, uh, for the last 70, yeah, for the last 70 years uh, of the party's life, Xinhua, CCT, all of those kind of state media has been always dominating the, the, the news. And for individual Chinese people, we understand we're, we're living in this kind of an environment of Chinese media style. So when, for example, even for my friends who don't work in media industry, they understand that, you know, uh, Xinhua, CCTV, this kind of state-owned media, had people's daily, of course, have this kind of authority. They're the only one who can tell the truth. What the other message uh, were like the commercial voices or, you know, independent voice, that doesn't mean anything. So people are comfortable or accepting of this kind of a situation. It's the default. They don't think about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And the people, it's totally fine with that, that, that kind of environment. Even though I think from the late 1990s, you know, commercial media start to rise, people finally have some alternative source of information. But people still understand, you know, Xinhua, you know, CCTV, People's Daily have this kind of a highest level authority of information. They never want to challenge that, and they know they can't do anything to challenge that. Uh, the, the issue I was just, just bringing, that, that was a choice they had because uh, before in the 1980s, television radio was state-subsidy media. It mm. was only one, and they controlled everything, right? Exactly. What, the, the problem they had to solve was in the in, in after Gaiga Kaifang when they, they needed to open up the media to be entertaining and also to create create markets. So mm. they, had to put the mar- they had to put advertising in so it wasn't just state-subsidy. But how do you do that? How do you garner audiences that you have to produce genuinely entertaining shows mm. without letting these these uh, political issues 
And and the the, the solution they found mm-hmm. was right. we just make news its own separate department and then have as much fun as you want and make these crazy shows and and, and pull in huge advertising dollars. The U.S. never really made that. <laughs> that they didn't have this situation that you're talking about, right. a one-party controlled media. Yeah. So so the U.S. has had that problem since the, my God, since since the birth of television, it's been chaos. Yeah, your point about like infotainment and entertaining news, I I don't I, I think that's actually older than we're 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 thinking here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go back to the early days of print new of, of printing mm-hmm. in the United States. You think about some of the things that were written in the newspapers. Even at oh, the yeah. very you know early days of the American experiment, because it's always a way of a check and balance in you know deeply embedded into American system, right? People use media to you know supervise the, the government behavior, but in China, media is always a tool of uh, information sharing, so it's never playing as a you know check and balance power, and people just so happy not not happy, but people just. Take it by default and never challenge that kind of system. But, but Jiao Jun, I have a question because what yeah. what you were just saying, the way you seemed to indicate was that people look at the People's Daily, look at state media, and they say, "Oh, we're used to that. This is the you know state." Yeah. But you also seem to indicate that because it's controlled by the state media, nobody really believes that it's one hundred percent true. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right? People know that you know once a Xinhua Xinhua said said, said something, we, we should not challenge that. But secretly, people also, you know, in their mind have a question mark. This kind of a contradictory is a very, I would say, very Chinese. And people totally accept that kind of situation. They know that's the system. They, they would never challenge that. It's just part of life. People know what those media for, and they accepted the situation. It's, it's more like it sets the bounds of discourse. It's it's, exactly. it's not saying this is the truth. It's like. This is now the limits of discourse, yeah. and you can dis- you can you can have a uh, you can have conversations within that those limits. Yeah, at least in public, private, you you don't know what people talk about and right. think about. Like on podcasts, for example. <laughs> well, I, I agree with all of that, but I tell me if I'm wrong. But I feel like there has been a shift in the way that the news is presented, even in the boring silos that David in, is in China. You in mean China? Mm. And part of that, I think, has to do with this issue we, uh, we've talked about, like the information asymmetry, uh, the decoupling of information, if you will. In that, when I first started watching Xinwen Lianbo, which was you know, 20 years ago, one of the things about, yes, you had to kind of, like if in the U.S., you have to filter out all the noise. In the Chinese news, you had to kind of parse the, what was not being said, what mm-hmm. was between the lines. But one of the things I noticed, which was really, I thought, very sophisticated, was in, first of all, as Jia Jun said, giving good news also made people kind of psychologically happy. It mm-hmm. was like, I, I'm hearing information right. I like. That's, that's the one thing. The other thing, too, was that it was very rare on the news for people to just make shit up. That's there true. was very there was there was always there was stuff that was left out and there was definitely a spin and all of that and you question all that but it was very rare that they would have a story where they were just completely pulling things out of their ass and like believe this kind of like Pyongyang style. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the last 3 or 4 years that the way the state information environment is going it's starting to move more in a direction of the stories that are coming out are starting to depart further and further from a kind of truth. Now, we can argue whether or not that's just because, you know, the West has one view of looking at it and China has another way of looking at it. Fine. But I feel like the stories are getting a little bit closer to a level of 
discourse that I would like to refer to as batshit insane. And in that trend, am, am I am I am I the only one seeing this? That a lot of the stories I feel are are, you know, take a look at the recent GDP numbers that were released. It was absolutely hysterical to see like on like the state council information office, People Daily, and everyone else, you know, posting on Twitter the the rosy forecast of zero point four percent growth. And then of course on the other side was Bloomberg, the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times going, holy crap, China's crashing. And of course, somewhere the truth lies in between. Even some of these stories we're hearing that about social trust, like, for example, the, 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 the depositors in Hunan who are having trouble getting their money back. You know, you see the news here. It's like, no problem, all is well. It's like, this would make no sense to Yajun, but it's like the movie uh, Animal House where Kevin Bacon is standing there, like, all is well with his hands up as he gets trampled by the mob. On the other hand, if you read, if you take a look on the other side, it's like everyone's like, well, you know, these Hunan bank deposits are the tip of the iceberg that's going to lead to a complete and total overthrow of the system coming in like November. And of course, that's not true either. And what I'm worried about is in this information decoupling, one, it gets harder to filter out the noise on the one side from the information overload. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it becomes much harder to trust what's happening what's being said by the government, you know? And so if before you always were a little bit, you always handled the information coming through the news with very carefully. Now it's almost like, should I even bother? Because we're, we're, we're kind of moving towards almost, you know, total propaganda. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the big changes is the fact that, uh, and we've talked about this before, which is the international news, the international social media. China is more porous now than it used to be. So actually lots and lots of people are also seeing foreign social media and, via VPNs and other things, right? So it's no longer a closed-off environment. But it, it just doubled, this. I just have to double down on what I was saying at the very beginning, actually. I don't think for the Chinese media that the issue is that belief, that, tr- that trust means trusting in the message that the government gives you, that, that, that the GDP numbers are accurate. That's not the issue. And, and most people don't even believe that at the outset. They know that, these, that they're, getting, they're getting a rosy picture, right? I think for Chinese people in these polls that, I could be wrong, but I just think that the image is what I, I trust that the government has my interests at heart and is doing the right thing. And I can see it in my life because I'm doing better than my parents did and my kids are this sort of equation, right? And and if the, if the gee whiz, look, we only lost uh, so several thousand people to COVID and the U.S. lost a million. You know, there's a there's a there's like a landmark you can point to, right? That's what they mean by trust. The government is, you know, churning along, doing the right thing for us. It's not an issue of believing. In fact, you know, I see this schizophrenia, right, with people know good and well that government uh, Peng Shui is not doing well and she's a, this is a terrible scandal and this this crook official is getting away scot-free. Everyone knows it, but you just, it's just a lie, but you just, but that's not what they're concerned about. They're saying, yeah, there's all these scandals and things. I only care about, am I making more money? Can I, could I buy a car? Can my kid go to school? And so on and so forth, right? In the United States, the information contradictions and confabulations are just out in the open in a, in a totally surrealistic, chaotic environment. QAnon, it's not that there's this shady organization called QAnon and what do they really think, what do they really believe. We all know. It's above, you know, it's, it's right there in all the news. It's been covered extensively what they believe and how crackpot they are, right? Here, if there were something like that, you, you'd never really know about it unless you've you know, accessed foreign media. So I think that's, that's the difference. Here, I think first, because of this media environment, Chinese have got used to a kind of a schizophrenia where we know what this news is, we, we know what the message is, and we know what the, bear, the, the limits of discourse are. 
And we are going to look at each other and talk in public in these ways that reflect those discourse barriers. But in our private mind, in our private lives, and in our, in our daily activities, we don't talk like that. We know exactly what's going on. We're not fooled. We're not idiots, right? And that sort of thing is all the party can really hope for because it, the days when they could actually brainwash everybody because there was no other input from the outside world are over. You know, it's my, my advisor, Ken Dewaskin, when, when asked, a student said, why do they keep this Lei Feng thing going on? Because nobody believes it. It's a silly, it's a myth. Why does the party keep dredging this up every year? And he said, oh, no, it's, they don't expect you to believe it. They just want you to say it as a kind of a salute. Says, look, you know, we're all uh, speaking with one voice here, and it just means this is allegiance to the party, right? So I do think a lot of be people believe in Lei Feng. I was one of them. And, and until I, I you know, read the, the his, history book that uh, Jeremiah shared well, with Well, there me. was a real Lei Feng. It's, there, just there, it's just that it was just I, like the, I, I there was a Jesus. I believe that everything about the Leifeng, you know, helping all the ladies, you know, do all of the good deeds and for for other people. I, wow! So, because that was you were taught since you were a kid, and this guy, but, it's just in your daily life. Whenever you know you were trained, taught, instructed in, in school about doing the right thing, you know, that's your model. And we study textbook about him, and every year there's a special day in March dedicated for yeah. him, right? So for that day, all of the students have to, at least when I was a student, we, we will have to do something. We go to like a nursing house to help the seniors and to spend a day with them. That, that's the thing you do. Yeah, I believe that for about 18, 19, 20 years. And then I, too, <laughs> I read book and realized, oh my God, <laughs> what really happened? I, and and I, I do think the government has done an amazing job to continue that kind of a education. And I do believe a lot of people believe that, that everything about Lei Feng is, is true. In the immortal words of Lei Feng, Dao, 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 <coughs> in any case. That, that, that part is totally, you know, skipped in, in the textbook. That he died by being hit in the head by a telephone pole? I think it was a portrait as that he was trying to save somebody and then he sacrificed himself. That's another Well, that's a much story. more nobler story. That's a absolutely. different gospel. Well, yeah, that's, you know, that, that, that's the, the official line of this guy. Well, I think probably this is an issue that is going to continue to bedevil the leaders of both countries in their run-up to their political appointments with fate in November. I'm not sure we're going to be able to solve this issue right here, right now, although goodness knows we've tried. But I really want to thank David for coming in. And David, uh, you're, are, are you flying away from these shores, at least temporarily, but not going that far? You'll still be within the greater China orbit. Yeah, well, pardon me, the, the China or orbit. Yes, the, I will be going to Taiwan for a month or so and hope to be reporter at large there maybe for barbarians at the gate well en enjoy your time in nice china <laughs> yeah june thank you so much for joining us it's always a pleasure to have you with us the pleasure is mine hopefully i didn't say anything stupid <laughs> let's just say you fit right in <laughs> <laughs> starting when i ask uh, whether i can curse <laughs> Rock yeah. <laughs> and on that note, cue the drums. Thank you for joining us on Barbarians at the Gate. We'll talk to you again 